I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, we have just Eddie. It's Kevin Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Henson. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited about tonight. Um, it's my, my hometown. We've done this in two other places, Texas and uh, Nashville, and I'm finally here in D.C., but Rower's Choice. So some of you may have heard a company called Finish Line Shell Repair. We started 10 years ago in Baltimore, Maryland, um, and over the course of about 10 years, we moved from fixing boats to selling boats and then building boats for a while, and then the pandemic hit in 2020, we saw the writing on the wall. We said, we need to spend all of our time hyping up the sport of rowing. Because without change, you're not going to grow, right? I think we all can agree with that. And over the course of two years, we've interviewed hundreds of coaches and athletes from around the world. And then more recently, a couple of months ago, we started this, a live event where we bring some of the best coaches in the country to talk to parents and athletes about one of the hardest things you'll go through as a young man or woman, and that's going from high school to college, learning how to properly recruit yourself, what you're looking for in the right program. And we want to educate the parents. So we're traveling around the country doing these events. And tonight is our number third, third event. And I got some pretty impressive names here in front of me, and we're going to learn a lot about them over the next hour. We're going to talk about three things tonight. One, culture and what that means at the collegiate level and how important that is to grow and to find speed in a team. Second is that transition from high school to college and what to expect. And then lastly, tips and tricks on recruiting. What these coaches are looking for specifically with programs like theirs uh, and others. And my first guest, uh, I always get nervous because... It's really exciting. <laughs> He's going to laugh. This is Brian Volpenhein. He is a gold medalist uh, in the Olympic 8 in 2004, multi-Olympian, and now the head coach of UPenn. So please, round of applause for Brian. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, next up is Rebecca Grabowski. I got it. Oh, it's so hard. She's the head coach of University or Temple University in Philadelphia, and she's been in the rowing game for t over 20 years now. I think like 24 years. I'm <laughs> sorry. Okay. Round of applause, everybody. Rebecca Gilbaski. And, and lastly, we have Eric Karsich. Uh, he, he's been traveling around the country, working on teams for years, and this guy really knows his stuff. He's been in the game for, well, I won't say how long, but a long time. Uh, Eric Hartzich, head coach, head coach of UMass Women. It's good to um, be here. I also want to say thank you to a couple important people really quick. Uh, my family is here. My wife, two kids, and a baby's someone around here. Round of applause for them, please. It's a late night. <laughs> and then my main man behind me, CJ, he's my partner in all of this, and he is the one that makes this all work. So one round of applause for him, please. So, first question, we're going to be getting into culture. So, Brian, uh, yes. you have quite a story. The Ohio State University, walk on. <laughs> the, the Ohio then eventually making it to the national team and at the Olympics. Talk to me about 
that culture, that experience, that first time you got to the national team in Princeton? Uh, okay. Um, there's a couple different ones, but one I'll tell is, which I think gets at sort of the culture that was already in place or was sort of just beginning when I first started. It was um, 98, 1998. And, uh, you know, I had just, I hadn't graduated college yet, but I was uh, taking a, a break to go try out for the Olympic team and for the 2000 Olympic team. And, um, you know, I looked much different than I look now. I, you know, I had a goatee that was about this long. I had really long hair. I wore, uh, if you're familiar with the Genco jeans, like the really <laughs> big ones, I had a lot of Abercrombie flannel. It was the 90s, you know? Yeah. And so I walk up and I show up in Princeton uh, on, that, on their campus at their boathouse, which is, you know, very prestigious Ivy League. My first time in any school like that. And uh, Pete Chiplon was there in the parking lot. And um, he was the coxswain of the, the USA for the previous two years and had won world championships. And um, he just sees me walk up, and I don't look anything like a rower. And, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm from a club team. I walked on. This is like my fourth year ever in the sport. And he just walks up and says, yo, Brian, I think the uh, Stone Temple Pilots concert was last week. What are you doing here? <laughs> And, uh, By the way, only the parents know who that get is. Get that band. <laughs> you guys could, it's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> um, but I think, but then, you know, a conversation started with him, and, you know, we became really good friends, and he's a lifelong friend now. We ended up winning a lot of races together and, and um, won the gold. He was my coxswain in 04. And I think it speaks to sort of their openness of that group. And the coach at the time, Mike Tatey, uh, had just taken over in 96 and there was this real sense of I don't care where you're from I don't care who you are I don't care what your background is Um, if you can make us faster you can be on this team and I think that permeated the entire camp and it it led to this really upward movement of people where like if you were performing on a daily basis like and you were making boats go fast that's the only thing that mattered and um it really created this sense of uh, we're all in this together and we're going to go, we're going to take these steps forward. Is, Eric, you've, you've been around five programs, I think, in your career. Sure. Is similar experience than uh, where you've been I around? I don't have quite the athleticism that, that my <laughs> yeah. friend here had in, uh, in his youthful days. But, you know, it's been uh, a journey for me uh, traveling. Uh, I was a soccer player uh, in high school and I walked onto, onto my team at UMass. I graduated there in '96. And it's, um, I just went in, I wanted to work really hard. And that was my attitude. Uh, I'd never picked up an oar until I, I got to UMass. And now in my 27th year of coaching and here in front of this amazing group, it's just the journey uh, has been incredible. Five different universities. Um, worked, uh, we actually worked at Penn for a little bit, at Yale, at Cornell, and GW for nine years. Um, and so throughout that whole process, I think for me, it's the uh, work ethic and my, my attitude of, of willing to work until we get it right has always been present, and that was there when I was a rower. You know, it was a club team as well. Um, we had to kind of, uh, you know, rake leaves and do whatever we had to do to, to, to you know, make, make a race, uh, get to a race, um, but it's always been about the, the work that I was willing to put in. And it's, it's, it's gotten, gotten to me where I am right now. So as the head coach of UMass, it, it is so much about the culture of your team? Like, do you spend a lot of time talking to your athletes, invested in the definition, defining the culture? 
Yeah, and year three uh, at UMass now, uh, taking over the program, uh, there's been a lot of, of off-the-water communication. We call it the other 22, which is with everything that we do when we're not on the water. And we have uh, one of my associate head coach, Steph Chivers, she, she meets with our athletes uh, weekly and, and has conversations that go well beyond what we're doing on the water and, and more of a holistic approach, getting to know them, because we know that we're going to get a lot more out of our athletes if we're really committed to their development as a human, not just as an athlete, uh, as a rower at the boathouse. Rebecca, I'm, I'm imagining it's sort of like repeating what they're saying, but how important is that team culture, that environment at Temple? I think it's everything. I think on any team, like whether you're at the Olympics or you're at a club program or you're just starting out, I think it's the most important thing. And it, it ties into recruiting. It ties into how hard you want to work. I mean, I, can, I can't coach someone's desire. So you got you to gotta want to work hard. And it comes back to that. And so I, I can set up the structure and I can give you everything you need training-wise. But if you're not willing to show up and put in the work, we're not going to go very far and if you're not willing to do it with other people and and sometimes that involves meeting them where they are or sacrificing what you think it is the way it should be and so there's a lot of that communication piece and I, I think it's everything I think I've learned that a lot of 10 years at Temple I think I've um, you know started as a brand new head coach there and have learned a whole lot in 10 years and I think that's probably the biggest lesson for me is that it's about the right people surrounding yourself whether it's fellow coaches um, or whether it's the athletes that you bring into the program, um, that's definitely the most important thing is culture. COVID, you know, is, everyone knows it. So March 2020, season ends. You guys stop rowing, stop training, stop competing. What has been the biggest change in your team environment after that happened? Brian, like what, what changed and what are you doing now to help that along? Well, I think the biggest thing that changed is that they smile. I can see their smiles a lot more. Yeah. And you really see how much it means to them. And um, that's the biggest thing. And so you, you're just trying to encourage them and, and really instill a sense of gratitude and uh, appreciation for, for what um, they're able to do at the boathouse every day and how important that is to them and how important it needs to be to them. And um, we were talking earlier about that. That's, that's what I feel the most when I'm down there is that sense of responsibility to create that environment for them to have that that sense of gratitude and then you know in terms of culture they within that the athletes need to be the ones that drive the work ethic and the culture and 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 pushing that forward if they take ownership in that it really means a lot more and so um that just trying to find a way to do that in person and it's much easier in person than it sure. was really hard over zoom yeah i can't but, imagine yeah. um so there's a lot of coaches here and i think also for parents too, how do you, as a coach, what, what advice do you have, Rebecca, for the young coaches that are trying to build the right culture in their program? Like what can you tell them tips and tricks on building the right culture or building an environment that's open and communicating and free to be yourselves? Like yeah. what tips do you have for them? I think it's getting clear on your values as a, as a coach and what your goals are in the program. I mean, as a division one rowing program, we have, you know, potentially different athletic goals uh, than a high school program does. But I think that uh, hopefully the goal of, you know, in my opinion, being a coach, it's about developing people. Um, and so getting really clear on how, how you do that through the, you know, the sport of rowing is the vehicle. Um, but I think how you, 
how you approach with your athletes, what, you know, the valuing of, of people as people and as humans, there's a lot going on um, in a lot of our, in all of our students' lives. And, and so I think just starting to, kind of Eric alluded to it, having conversations that go beyond just rowing and, um, and just getting, getting to know people. But I think if you're a, a young coach starting out, the biggest thing I would say is just communication and relationships with people and, and building that understanding and that, and that connection, because then that allows you um, to really push and to build a trust there. So you're not just pushing without a why or an understanding that, you know, we push our athletes really hard. I think we all probably do. And there's high standards and there's high stakes. But I think if you come from a place of caring about them, um, and they know that you can't just care and not tell them. That's also a lesson I've learned along the way. <laughs> you can't just care and assume that they all understand that you care. I think just being able to learning how to communicate it in a way um, that that gets to them. Just because I've said it doesn't mean they've heard it. Um, and so I think that's a really big piece of it is just communicating that relationship, building that relationship, and then you can you can push really hard and and hold high standards. I see you nodding over here. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, jump in on the conversation. No, I think <laughs> what Rebecca's saying spot on, the, the ability, uh, willingness for us to, to communicate and, and meet them where they are. And that's a, that's a, our athletes are dealing with stuff that, that I never dealt with, that we never dealt with. And coming out of COVID, I think the idea of gratitude is spot on. Uh, we have the three Gs, grit, growth, and gratitude uh, in, in our program. And, and we really work hard to create this environment that they have the best part of their day at, at the boathouse. And, and to do that, we have to, we have to work really hard to meet them where they are and, and understand that the pressures that they're feeling and going through are totally different than what I went through. And, and the willingness for us as coaches to, to, to listen and have a staff that's willing to listen and, and work with them, I think that's when you get the most out of them. So Brian, you know, UPenn, I, I raced against UPenn years ago and the environment then I remember is just win, win, win at all costs. And back when I was in college, win. Is that part of a team culture is you got to win? Or is that not as important in today's rowing world? No, I think it's important. I think that's what, but I think the thing is everybody wants to win at every level. Anytime they show up and compete, that's what the goal is, right? And so, but not everybody will. And so I think you have to understand that there's more to it than just winning. And, um, you know, it's, it is as much about the process and about getting the most out of yourself. And, and win or lose, you're going to learn something about who you are. And you have to take that to the next opportunity to compete. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think winning, it, it matters, and that's why they all show up. And I think as a coach, I think you have to um, sort of outline those expectations, um, you know, set those goals, but then also kind of indicate a clear path on how we're going to get there and, and not just how we're going to get there, but how are we going to manage the ups and downs of any season? Because there's definitely going to be ups and downs. Um, and so having the patience to, you know, deal with those setbacks as they come, you know, have, and like what they're talking about, communicating through all that is highly important. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think everybody wants to win. And I think that the difference is what, what, what really good athletes do is they also lose well. And um, that's you learn as much from that, if not more. Than you do from just winning all the time. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I get it. I mean, you've you you and I were joking before. I think on a previous interview that you lost a lot more than you won. Yeah, right. And you would think that you'd be a genius by now, but yeah, you know, far <laughs> far from it. I'm still learning. <laughs> so uh, I want to get into the meat of the conversation, and that is high school to college. Um, I, and I want this to be a open conversation, not just me directing it to each of you. Like I want to get into this. So. You were a walk-on, Rebecca. You 
I would love to know. I think you all are, actually, which is weird. Um, I'd love to know the story behind you finding rowing back in the late 90s. Late 90s? Yeah, no, it's it's the truth, though. It is the truth. It is the truth. Um, So the story is I was a... I went to college as women's rowing was really starting to pick up. Junior rowing was practically non-existent unless you were, you know, at a at a prep school or or a school that had traditionally had rowing. So I, um, my school did not have rowing. Uh, I was a runner in high school, so distance running, um, cross country, the two mile and track, all that kind of fun stuff. And I knew I wanted to be an athlete. I just I, I always played sports since I was in second grade, and it just really was part of my identity. So I. Um, but there, I wasn't being recruited for anything like that. It, you know, again, college rowing was, or just collegiate athletics in general was kind of a whole new, a whole new realm that was just starting to open up. And so I picked my school first. I kind of didn't really understand the recruiting process at all. Um, found Holy Cross. It was an incredible experience, but I knew that once I had picked my school, um, that I had to find a way to be an athlete there. So I was like, well, I'm a runner. I'll talk to the running coach. And so I went up there one day and had a meeting with the cross-country and track coach. He was a wonderful man. Um, he was super open and, and welcoming. And he's you know, we always need good teammates. And you can come in and work hard. And um, I was like, awesome. So I left. And I was like, I'm going to be a runner in college. This is going to be awesome. And it was like just when the internet was starting to become a thing. So I went home and I started researching running at the collegiate level. And I realized they ran in those little like bathing suit <laughs> bottoms. And I was like, no, no, no. Ew, this is not the sport for me. Um, I wish I were kidding about that, but that is legitimately what scared me away from collegiate running. Um, and so I was like, I need to find another way. And I was relatively tall at the time. I'm 5'8". I'm still 5'8". I'm the shortest woman on my team. Um, but I was tall at the time, and my pediatrician, of all people, his kids had rowed. Um, and he said, you know, you might think about rowing you know, aerobic base, you're relatively tall, any college coach would love to have you on the team. And so I then switched gears, had had never rowed a stroke, didn't know anything about rowing, but I was like, I'm going to row when I get to college. So I went looking for, like, I was looking for the walk-on meeting that first week of school. And so I went um, just sort of excited about rowing. We had tanks. It was, you know, Worcester, Massachusetts. It's cold. I remember getting in the tanks the first day, and all we were doing was just, like, plopping the blades in and out of the water in time. And I, like, you know that Pocock quote about rowing, you know, part of you that's your soul? Like, it literally hooked my soul, and I was like, I love this. I love everything about it. I think everyone feels the same way. Haven't looked back. (laughs) Uh, So I'd like to talk about what those first couple of weeks look like in each of your programs. Um, It is a huge culture shock, right? I mean, we're on this beautiful campus. This campus is probably better than some of this place. This place is unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) But they, these, I know most of these kids, they either row at a Thompson's Boat Center, which you've been there, thousands of kids, thousands of people at one time, huge shock. But then going into a, a very small program, 40, 50 people, training is really hard. It's much different. Like, Eric, I want to talk about those first couple of weeks of what that transition looks like from high school to college with you. Yeah, I think even stepping back, uh, what's really cool about what we do is, is the ability to choose and sele- hand select the, the population that we work with, the athletes that we work with. And part of that is, is finding the best fit, right? I, people throw that word around all the time, fit, fit, fit. Um, I really think it's super important for, for this group to know, and, and we're all in agreement that's, that's a huge part of, of, of the journey is, is getting out there and finding the school that, that's going to allow, allow this, the athletes to grow and become the best versions of themselves. And so that part of the process is super, super important. Um, and, and we are super lucky in, in, uh, in the ability to, to kind of hand select the athletes that's going to bring us great joy and create an incredible culture like we're talking about. 
Um, but those first couple weeks, if you choose wisely, you, sh- you should find a family, a group of, of uh, peers, athletes that are going to create um, a great support system for, for, for that first arrival on campus. And it's a big transition. Like, when, where do I eat? When do I eat? When do I study? Uh, how, how much should I sleep? And so there's, there's a lot happening that first semester when they arrive on campus. And ideally, there's an incredible support system around them to, to, to help them through that part of the, part of the, journey, the journey. The volume of training is yeah. really important, right? So uh, we've done this a couple times, and we had a coach tell us, uh, if you're not fit day one, don't expect to be in the top, even top two boats, right? It, it, is it like that at the collegiate level? Are you expecting these kids to be full on ready to go? After they just, they just graduated in May and June, two and a half months later, they're jumping in with you guys. What are you expecting for your athletes? Um, we expect them to be fit. We give them a training plan for the, the three months prior to arrive, arriving at school. Uh, but also understanding it's, it's a huge transition, and they're, they're, they're managing a lot, like what I was talking about before. And so uh, we, you know, I, I think it's important that, that we as coaches have a, a level of expectation for that group and, and don't over put too much pressure on them. Brian? Yeah, I give them, we also give them a training training plan and I have, I'm assuming whatever I give them they're probably doing a quarter of it uh, which is okay so I pad it a little bit um, but I, I basically expect them to come in fit enough to not get hurt to be able to do the practices um, and for us the, the first week they, they, the freshmen come on campus a week early and they go through a bunch of orientation stuff and then we have um, you know a, a team a big team meeting with just the freshmen and their parents um, and it's like we do like icebreaker stuff and make them tell fun facts about themselves. And um, that kind of breaks the ice a little bit and just coffee and donuts. And um, Sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's great because <laughs> there's like a really good donut shop on campus and we get these really, and I eat a lot of them, and, which hopefully makes them feel comfortable that, that it's, it's, um, it's a place where they can be themselves. And, and then that first week of training is it's pretty much once a day um, for, for, the, for the freshmen and then the upperclassmen do extra. Um, and then the, the freshmen that are fit and ready to go, like they'll join with the upperclassmen on those, those extra workouts. And then after that first week or two, it, it becomes like a more regular, you know, every day and then um, a couple of days a week, twice a week. I imagine the same similar situation for you guys? Yeah, it's a, there's a gradual build just built in with our playing and practice season. So when we start in the fall, and I think Eric made a good point of that you're, you're coming, it's a huge transition, whether you're rowing in college or not, it's a huge transition to go to college. So that coming in and, and having a, a group of people that are going to welcome you and take care of you, I think is one of the best parts about going to college as an athlete on a team. Um, and so you have that, that safety net, but yeah, there's a, there's a gradual build up just because we're limited in the number of hours that we can we'll talk to you about train. that. So I, I don't know. Get, I don't yeah. Know rules, so there's right? in season and out of season. So when we're out of season, we can train eight hours a week with the coaches present, um, and only four of them can be actual rowing on the water. This hours. is the first couple months. Yeah. No, this is for the first maybe two or three weeks. It depends on on when you start your season. So with okay. Division One women's rowing, we have um, a set number of practice days in a calendar year that we can practice. We have 156 days that we can actually practice in season. Most teams divide them into a fall and a spring season. So when you're full in season, you get 20 hours a week with coaches. Um, where, where you're training and practicing. And, I don't think um, any of these kids train 20 hours a week. That is a <laughs> lot of hours of training. And I mean. like I said, there's a, there's a gradual transition, so we're not just jamming them right into 20 hours I mean, a week. They need and to hear I this. I think especially as freshmen, <laughs> and, and um, I would imagine most, you know, most 
programs, there's a build because it, Brian alluded to it. We're not, our goal is not to get you injured. Um, and we understand that there is definitely a, and there needs to be this sort of step in periodization into collegiate training. So there is an expectation that you're going to be able to manage some baseline fitness and we give, we have, you know, fitness assessments that we do and they are very well aware of them, you know, months before they get here and ours involves some, you know, there's running testing and there's er erging. That's always a good assessment. I'm hearing a lot of things here. (laughs) I'm hearing there's a huge team of support behind each athlete. Like Eric, talk to me about this, right? So, you know, the parent, the support they have are their parents. And I, you, know, I, you saw, I have an eight-year-old. I have no idea what she's going to be doing in 10 years, and I won't be able to help her because she won't want to listen to dad or mom. What's the support like? Yeah, I think it's has? very different now. They, they have their, their, you know, their first responders, right? The, the, the four, three to four coaches that are on staff. That's kind of the first level. Yeah. Below that, you're going to have an athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach, often a psychologist, uh, a sports performance coach is, is not uncommon, a nutritionist. Uh, then below that, you're going to have all the support from, you know, cross campus from the health services, a- anything that beyond uh, what we can handle within the department. So all those layers are there in-house, and often there's an administrator that's kind of the triage that kind of pushes and moves the athletes where they need support. And so it's, it, that has something that's evolved uh, very much since, since we've Are you seeing younger. the same thing at Penn? Yeah, that- yeah I'd say like – and academic support is, is there as well. Yeah. That's that's a that's one level that's in addition to all that stuff. I mean, I think the other I think the important thing for the for the kids that are getting recruited right now to to remember is that I mean that's first of all these are some of the questions you should probably be asking is like what is those first couple of weeks like? What, what kind of support is there? And we expect those kinds of questions. Um, but then also I think also just remember that uh, you we understand as coaches and as you know the staff that you're working with that you are. 17 or 18 and you're going to make 17 or 18 year old mistakes like you're going to oversleep you're going to miss a practice you're going to you're going to make freshman mistakes and so that's okay and I think you know you what you want to avoid is those becoming a habit um, and just be patient with yourself there because it is a transition and it I mean if I think about myself when I was that age like I was I don't think I could have handled a um, our practices were in the afternoon and I lived across the street from the boathouse in my dorm so if I had to go anywhere further than that and get up at 5 a.m., I, I would not be here today. So I think, like, I, you got to have that patience and with yourself. And, and, and I think you should, if that's something, your coach should also have that, that kind of understanding and patience a little bit. But you should know, like, what their expectations are ahead of time. I, I was a high school coach at Bishop O'Connell, pretty close to here. The level of involvement that the parents had on the team was incredible, sometimes negative more negative than positive, and it's overwhelming. How much parent support is there at the collegiate level? Do you, how much time do you spend talking to parents in those first couple of weeks or first couple of months with the athletes? I, Rebecca, I can, Yeah, I think that a parental involvement is a big part of it. I think that, you know, I definitely, I know there are coaches that want nothing to do with parents involved in their team, but that's not, you know, I think that it's a, it's a big decision, recruiting, choosing your school. There's mm-hmm. a lot of implications, uh, emotional, academic, financial, and I think that parents should absolutely be involved. It's probably as a 17-year-old, it's maybe one of the biggest decisions you've made at that point in your life. So I think having parents involved in the recruiting process is natural. I think the athlete should be driving the recruiting process for sure. I mean, parents should kind of be supporting and, and part of the conversation, but not driving 
the conversation because the relationship once they get to college is with the coach and the athlete. And so I think that relationship is the most important one. So I think that's a, that's a big piece of it. And then when they're there, obviously there's huge support that, that parents provide um, on a lot of different levels, but in the recruiting process, I think involved absolutely, um, but not the driving force of the process. St. Brian, same thing. At the yeah, level. that's a good way to, good way to put it. Like I, I want to know the parents well enough so that if there's something comes up with their, their student athlete, I can go to that and, and help them. I mean, you're, you're spending so much time with them, 20 hours a week. I mean, it's almost like you're another yeah. extension of their parents anyway. I mean, you're, you see them more than any professor, uh, yeah. anybody on campus, their parents the whole, whole year long. So it, it's absolutely important that, that we have that dialogue, have parent Zooms. Obviously, COVID's opened up the opportunity for, for you to get on, online with coaches and, and have these conversations, get to know where you're sending your son or daughter. Uh, really, really important conversations for both sides. So I want to talk about the recruiting process. Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of, there's a Q&A after this, everybody. So hold your questions because I know, and I actually know which ones are coming. Uh, but Eric, you have coached five different collegiate teams from Cornell, GW. So all these are really different programs. Sure. Uh, GW, A-10s, a lot smaller than Cornell. Uh, multiple, I think two Ivy Leagues. Um, like, what do you want out of a recruit? What are you looking for for communication? So a kid's 17 years old, right? I guess a junior. What do you expect from them on the communication side of things? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that I've learned over, over my time coaching is, is I think college coaches are looking for, for high school athletes that, that can communicate, can stand on, on their own two feet and have great dialogue. Uh, and, and not have this programmed conversation when you talk to them on the phone and they can organically build out a conversation and, and we can learn more about them uh, it, throughout that process. Um, and, and it's not, um, not pre-planned. I, I know those are the most enjoyable conversations that, that I have in the recruiting front where it's just built out. And, and quite honestly, that, that really matters to us because that's, uh, it's kind of a, a foreshadowing of what, our relationship's gonna be with those athletes when they're on campus. Are they willing to come into the, into the office and have these really difficult conversations when they have pinch points in their, in their four-year journey? Mm -hmm. And we start to learn that when we have these conversations. And we're all, we spend hours and hours on the phone to find those athletes that we know are gonna be able to come in and handle the pressure that we're gonna put on them, that the academic uh, calendar is gonna put on them. And, and so we learn a lot in these conversations and, and we take them very, very seriously. Brian, do you yeah. want someone to email you and say, hey, listen, I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm 17. I just pulled a 626. I want to row for UPenn. How do you treat that kind of communication, that email? Are you looking for those people to yeah, be proactive? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you can't over communicate because all of us and our assistants are especially uh, super busy and they're recruiting you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of kids, and they're getting those emails. So I think uh, don't be afraid to over-communicate. Like, that's not going to bother us. I think, uh, and, and don't take offense if we don't get back right away, but we try to get back to every email right away and as fast as we can. And I think, um, we, what Eric said, we want to get that conversation going. And I want, I want um, that conversation to be authentic. I want to know the athlete, I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know, you know, why they got into rowing, why they love rowing so much. I want to know what they want to study, like what their interests are. I want to know all those things. Um, and if it, if it feels like it's coming from a recruiting service or a script, then that's, um, 
that's sort of a turnoff. I don't, mm. it, it doesn't. It makes me feel like they're just going through the motions. So uh, it, it has to be like a real conversation. And so those emails are great, and you start the conversation, and then you go from there. It has to evolve from that initial. This is my number. This is what I want to do. And it's like you got to get at the why and who they are. I can see you shaking your head. I, I totally agree. Please <laughs> elaborate. No, I, I think that there's a natural. Uh, initial formality to it the intro email the questionnaire you know doing, doing give me a, a, little give me a great intro email give me a great one well what, 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 great what, what would i say there's those smiley faces uh, emojis <laughs> on it. That, yeah. that's, that's not part of it coach's name's correct that's yes. always an important i heard one. that before and one universities time. and universities yeah, yeah. do not copy important. and paste don't copy paste y'all <laughs> yeah that's a tough one it happens um so what do you, okay so if i were to write a five sentence seven sentence yeah well, what do you want said in an email that's going to be an intent, attention getter? Attention getter? Yeah. I would say um, name, class year. That's important because we do have limitations on when we can respond to people. So knowing what year you're graduating from high school is an important one. Um, height, weight, 2K ERG score. We want to know that. If you don't have a 2K ERG, sco- ERG score, I would say something that can give us a little bit of insight. We're going to get really into that, by the way. Because I have a lot to talk about. I can't wait. Um, but some sort of metric that's going to give us an understanding, probably a little brief intro of um, how long you've been rowing. If that plays into your ERG score, that's always helpful, what program you row for. Um, and honestly, I love people that have done some research and can say, like, I really love your program because this. I saw this on your Instagram. I thought it was awesome. Congrats on a race result. Like, that shows that you've done a little bit more mm. Beyond just the, what time is your practice? What's your schedule look like? Like, those are pretty basic surface-level questions. So I think just a little one or two things that says you're really interested um, sort of sets you apart. So height and weight. I mean, these are like the SAT scores of rowing, yeah, right? Height, weight, 2K. What if a kid's just not graded at 2K, right? Let's just say he or she just gets nervous, and let's say their 5K is awesome, or their 1K, send or their, it does, it, does it, it matter? Just send, send everything. In. Any score, yeah. Send yep. it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. just, you have to put a score down. You know, uh, we, don't, we don't erg that much. Uh, it's just, it to me, work. it doesn't work. <laughs> just, just I'm own better it. on the water. Yeah, yeah. I, better, yeah. okay. I want all my seat races. Just own it. Whatever your erg score is, yes. just own it. Stand by it. This is why it's kind of your, my badge of honor, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better. If it's not that fast, I'll, I'm going to work on it. And shall, the other one I would say to that is don't just say I'm working to get better. What, what, are, you do, what are you actually yep. doing? Like we have people are like, I'm working to med- get it faster. I'm like, okay, how? What, t- tell me the plan. Is there really a plan or you're just hoping that it's going to get better? So I think that shows a lot of initiative. There's a lot of that here. Commitment. There's a lot of hoping it's going to get better. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, everybody hopes it's going to get better. We all hope you're going to come really? in and keep getting faster. Um, <laughs> really? But I think having a, having a bit, just showing that initiative of here's how and Here's some workouts that I've been doing that are trending in the right direction. That can be helpful, too. Because it's not just the number that matters. Correct. It's like Text. it's the context and, and where they've come from that I want to see. Mm-hmm. So it's like if they started rowing a year ago and they've, their first 2K was a 7.010 or whatever. And, uh, Rebecca you know, and I would take I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're fine with that. I, I would. <laughs> but, yeah, if I, if we're gonna, you can't do that on my team. <laughs> uh, but if they, you know, within a year they've gotten – 30-second improvement, you know, and they just learned how to row, then that's showing me that they have capacity and they can, they can grow into the sport. We're, we're in a city that has a lot of rowing programs, you know, Thompson's 18, 20 rowing programs. And what, what I'm getting to is there might be one really good standout on a team that just doesn't have a lot of history of success. And I know that a lot of kids get nervous that they're not winning at the highest levels. They're not winning SRAs or whatever. They have a decent ERG score. 
what can they do to stand out a little bit when they're just unfortunately not in an environment that's doing a lot of success? You might not even know they exist, like programs. I think that's, A, that reaching out to coaches if you're genuinely interested in the program and you think you've got some skill and that you can that you can lend to the program. I think this is where high school coaches can really play a big role for any high school coach in the audience. I think really helping your athletes navigate that. And we, we talk with high school coaches as part of the recruiting process. That's a, that is like a has to happen um, even before we bring anybody on for an official visit. So those are, that's a really important piece of that for us. They can provide that context that Brian's talking about, um, especially if it's a growing program, a new program. Um, so you guys yeah, encourage high school coaches to contact you and mm-hmm. say, I got somebody. I also think summer summer is the yeah. opportunity. If you're at a program that that is not you know, historically the best, there's so many amazing uh, summer programs from Ready Set Row to some of the some of the, the stuff they do down at Thompson Boat Center right here in town, Potomac. Um, opportunity to get yourself surrounded by like-minded athletes uh, that you can uh, also network and and see. Okay, there's some other people like me, and that might inspire you to be better when you go back to your own program. I, yeah, I would say. I, oh, sorry. No, no, go, ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, if you're the big fish in a small pond, you got to go to a bigger pond. Yeah. Well, you were the. Yeah. You had that. At experience. some point, you got to yeah, you got to take that step and put yourself around people that are better than you. Um, you know that I was, and I, I think also on your team, don't set limitations for yourself based on the people around you. Set them of of where you want to go, or don't set them at all. You know, mm-hmm. there's no reason to have them, and, uh, and and you can really do great things that way. Um, so I think like if you're the best guy on your team, just be better than the best guy on your team, you know, and, uh, and then get out there in the summer right, and get around people that, that are going to challenge you. Not that your teammates don't, but then also when we talk to your coach, we want to know like, what kind of teammate are you? Like, are you our leader on that team or are you sort of all of a sudden thinking you're too good for your teammates? Mm. Um, like we have a guy on our team now who, uh, he was on a small program in New Jersey and was getting recruited to come to a much better school and a, and a summer program. And he, I talked to him a long time about it, and he decided to stay and ended up coming to Penn. And he said it was a great decision for him. You know, I think it says a lot about his character. Um, and he's a great teammate on our team. He's a freshman. And uh, so I think take those things into consideration too. So I think what you do, you, know, you, you show up. What, what do you show up like in that first day of practice in the fall? Mm-hmm. That's a huge sign of, of character and work ethic and what you do when no one's watching uh that that to us really matters okay that this athlete shows up best shape after a summer alone that tells us a lot about that mm-hmm. athlete and you're watching everything i mean your teams aren't 80 90 kids like your teams are 30 40 50 right and it's how many how many do you have on your program uh, 42 42 brian uh, 39 60 <laughs> Okay, show off. <laughs> but you were so before Brian started talking, you were going to say something. What, what was that? Well, just sort of the same idea that we a lot of times when we're recruiting, we're recruiting people that are used to being at the top of their programs, and then you're going to come to college. That's part of that transition, and you're going to not be the best person on the team, right? Like, there's a learning curve to that too. So I think exactly how how do you handle how do you handle being at the top, and then what do you do to keep pushing yourself, and then how do you handle like hopefully in, in my experience and most college coaches would want the kid that does want to be surrounded by people that are better right like they're excited about that and I think that's something if you're in that program we le- like weave that into your recruiting story when you're talking to coaches I'm really excited to go to a place where I'm not going to be the fastest person by 37 seconds like I, I want to be challenged and I want to be pushed and I know that's how I'm going to get better so I think that there are ways that you can 
share that if it's true. <laughs> if it's not, you just like being on top, then don't make that your story. But if that's your story, then then share it. So uh, when we were racing long ago, it was the eight, the eight, the eight, right? That's all that mattered. So now you see all these boat classes. You see sculling now at this cl- at this classic level, doubles, pairs. They're winning nationals in the double, whatever. Um, how much does that go into the recruiting process? I mean, are you looking for the programs with the eights? Because I know there are a lot of programs here that don't just row the eights. They're, and they're probably wondering, oh, I'm in a double. Am I going to get a chance to row for UMass at a, at a scholarship level? Yeah, this comes back to what we were talking about before. Is, is it, it doesn't matter. Sculling, sweeping, small program, big program. It's, it's um, setting the goals for yourself, figuring out where you want to be, and then figuring out how to get there. What do I have to do? How, who am I communicating with? Uh, what am I doing in the summertime in my own time to better myself as an athlete? Um, so I think it's, it, it doesn't matter the program. Uh, you look at all of us who had never rode in high school, and you, know, you have an Olympian here. And so it, it doesn't matter where you've come from. Uh, it's, it's what you're willing to put in and, and the work that you're prepared to do to get to where you want to be. So you don't really care. Now we have sweepers, scholars, small programs, big programs. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Nope. I uh, want the best athletes I can get. Yeah, absolutely. Just the athletes, right? Athletes. Yeah. And that's, rowing's funny about that. Like, there's not a lot of athletes in rowing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just work really hard and uh, yeah, yeah. you just get better. Um, we had a bunch of parents and kids ask us before, how important is it to be so focused on the sport of rowing? So, just doing rowing, yeah. right? Specialized sports. That was really big in the early 2000s. And like when, and now I think it's a little bit different. I think that you want the variety. Because uh, I know kids, we parents send us messages saying, should I send my son to some big campus down in Florida for ODP camps? Because that's going to help them get to college. Like, what do you, does that matter to you? You're shaking your head no. No, no not really. No. It doesn't. I mean, it helps, but it's not the end all. You're, so like, you're just looking for yeah, I good think character, yeah. someone who wants to work hard with a good, good org score, right? And that's part yeah. of the context too, right? So if you're, when, we're, when you're evaluating someone and you're looking at the, the history of what they've done through high school, if they only row in the spring and they do other sports in the fall, you know, maybe they're erg score isn't going to be as good. So you factor that in a little bit. Um, and then I think it's incumbent upon the athlete to communicate why they chose rowing and why they wanted to pursue rowing in college and, and, and tell us that story. I think, it's, I think it's changing a little bit too, that old idea of like, oh, if I, if I can't play another sport, I row. I think that that is changing. Yeah. This sport is very much getting to the, to the point where we're searching for multi-sport athletes. The, the skill level that's required to, to move the boat boats at the level that we're coaching at um it's it's very athletic and and it's it's a hard skill to learn and be and be really good at and so i know there's a lot of programs out there that search for multi-sport athletes you know captains of the soccer team hockey team in the winter and just row in the spring but i think that comes back to contextually okay their score is not that great but they're amazing athletes and they work really hard and they and they're great on the phone and so okay they're not they're going 744 but we want that athlete in our program and to be clear 744 that's Women's rowing, not men's yeah. rowing. Yeah. Just by the way. Could be. <laughs> Could be. Could be. I don't know yeah. if they're going to Brian's team. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so I know you can't be specific on numbers, but they're going to ask the question, so I'm just going to preempt it. Brian, a program like yours, how do you get to a program like yours for a 2K or a 5K score? 
Um, I like for two K. I think six twenty is if you're in that range, or un, under the more under the better, and the closer you get to six twenty, depending on you know your how long you've been doing the sport. And let's say there's a kid 155 pounds, six thirty. I would tell him that we have a lightweight team. And I can introduce him <laughs> to the coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, a program, uh, so, you know. Because that's a pretty good score for a lightweight. That's good. That's really yeah, good score really for good, a lightweight. So. But yeah, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of kids under 620. I mean, there are. There's more and more now. More and more now. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting there. But, sure, but that's, that's, a, that's a cutoff for you. Yeah, I'd say it's a general. Like, it, uh, you want to see progress. Like, we have a kid coming in this next year who, you know, over the summer he went from a 650-something to a 624. And now he's under 620. So uh, you wow. want to see that progress. And, and when we recruited him, he was, uh, you know, in the 620s, high 620s. But you had a sense that he had made such a big jump and that something had changed in him that he was taking the sport more seriously. And just through my conversations with him, I just liked him. I, I felt like there was something that he was going to do, and he's made some good progress. And where did he come from? Uh, Stonington, Connecticut. Stonington, Connecticut. Yeah. That's a good program. Uh, sculling? Do they do any? Yeah, he's all, he's a sculling and, and sweep. Okay. Yeah. How about a, a program like UMass? I mean, is are there cutoffs? Are there? We don't even want to. Yeah, we won't worry get specific. Um, you know, I'd say Rebecca and I uh, are, are probably both on the same page. Um, you start to go sub seven thirty, right? You're you're for any Division One women's rowing program, you're gonna start to be you know get more looks. You know, sub seven twenty. A lot of people are gonna be looking at you. A lot of the top twenty programs in the country. Uh, if you're in, in, the, in the single digits, you're going to get offers from probably 10 Division One programs for full rides. Um, I think the biggest thing that, with all that said, is if you want to row in college, uh, you can find a place to row. You don't have to be, you know, what, what Brian's talking about, that's, that's 620. Uh, I think you said yourself, there aren't that many. They're getting more and more. Mm-hmm. But if you want rowing to be a part of your college journey, there's a place for you. And I think that you just have to find that right, perfect fit that's going to that's gonna allow you to do what you want to do. When we were having dinner before, we were talking about um, getting recruited after the fact. So you're a freshman, you're, tra- you're transferring. Now, a bit about me, I went to Marietta College. I was a big fish in a little pond. Marietta, Ohio was a very small place. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't get recruited there until July senior year like I was already out of college and some guys like shows up in my living room John Van Carey big as a house says you're coming to row for me and I didn't know anything about it I had one year and I realized I made a mistake and I moved to GW so I want to talk about transferring because a lot of these parents these kids you're talking about making a huge decision at 17 years old so they I want them to know that there's a chance that you can transfer and not feel so much pressure that first year. So from a transfer, transfer perspective, what would you look for in an athlete? I think it's very similar. We just have more data points. You know? And I think a big piece of it to me would be, um, and from probably any coach that's looking into the transfer portal, like what's the, what's the driving factor behind the transfer? Did you, know, is it, did it, did you make the wrong decision and you were a little hasty in the process and you said yes a little too soon and didn't really explore or didn't really know what you wanted? Or did you get to a certain level and realize you wanted more? Or you got to a certain level and realized that was too much? So I think there's, there's a lot that goes into why you would transfer. I do think the timing of the transfer 
recruiting process is a little bit later. And so sometimes that doesn't um, necessarily, it might change the available scholarship opportunities depending mm -hmm. on the program and depending on where you're looking. But at the end of the day, I do think it's about finding the right, the right fit. So there might be more in-depth questions about, you know, existing um, situations. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that it's becoming more and more common Definitely. And I think especially with COVID and people looking to extend their rowing career, they have an extra year of eligibility and trying to do a fifth year somewhere. So that's definitely becoming more of the recruiting process. Have you had, you two had any transfers in your programs? I have in the past. I think this goes back to really doing the work as, as a family, as a high school student, uh, making sure that the choice you make, and I know, like you said, you're, you're young when you're making, they're young when they're making that choice, but have you spoken to every coach? Have you been in the university? Do you, have, did you feel like you were pressured to make that decision? Uh, I, I say it all the time. There's no right timeline on, on the recruiting front. You know, early decision, you know, committing verbally uh, in your junior year, early decision, regular decision. It's, it's their timeline. And I just think it's really important to say it. It, no coach should be t dictating that timeline. And I think the, the more they, they trust in that process to find the right fit, the, the less active the transfer portal will be. Is that that is a, a let's say traumatic, but it's it's a challenging thing to do. Is it to to take your first year like you when you left and went to GW, right? Went to down to DC. It's it's challenging to up and move, yeah, and and, and change your whole kind of trajectory, your your circle of trusted friends. Uh, that's really hard, and so I I, I stress to, in the recruiting process to really take the time. Talk to every coach. Don't just talk to a recruiting coordinator. Talk to all the coaches at that program. Is it the place that you want to? grow and the people you want to surround yourself with. Rebecca, earlier today we were talking about uh, trips, recruiting trips, and you were really adamant about this one thing, like go on them. Oh, yeah. Talk, talk to them about what, you, what we were talking about. Yeah, so as a, as a high school recruit, you get five chances to visit schools, and um, I, I think it's a huge opportunity for us. I think that was probably the hardest thing about COVID was not being able to recruiting just sort of went into a dead period and we couldn't have anyone on campus. And um, I think that's huge because that's the the heartbeat of what your college experience is going to be is meeting your teammates and or potential future teammates and coaches like Eric saying and, and getting to see where would I be training and where would I be sleeping and where what's the rhythm like. And I think that's such a huge piece of it. So I would encourage everybody to, to go on an official visit. Sometimes it doesn't work out timing wise. I mean, internationals, it doesn't always happen. Um, but I do think if you're in a spot where you can make it happen and you're offered a, an invite to an official visit, I think it's a really good opportunity if it's a school that you're, that you're interested in. And I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's a really big piece. It's, it's a, you know, it's the whole process. It's a two way evaluation. We were talking about how it's really important to go on as many as you can, right? And that you don't want necessarily the high school coach who's somewhat narrow-minded to, to stop that kid from going I, on. Yeah, I think it's, I, I don't think high school coaches are narrow-minded, but I think <laughs> that's that, I think <laughs> that, um, I think it's easy to get caught up the, as, I think the process feels like it's starting to accelerate as, as junior rowing gets bigger and bigger and scholarship offers are happening earlier and earlier and athletes are going faster and faster. There's this sort of urgency to like, kind of to your mm. point, make a decision really early. Did I get a verbal? Did I say yes? And, and feeling, and seeing what your friends are doing and feeling this sort of comparison trap of, I got to decide soon, otherwise I'm going to get left behind and there won't be any scholarship money left. And so I think just sort of slowing down and making sure that you're doing all the research like Eric's talking about and, and finding the best place. And I think part of the recruiting process is that official visit. So I think getting, um, 
And we try as college coaches to schedule them. We understand that Head of the Charles is important in the fall, and a lot of times recruiting visits are happening in the fall. Um, they are happening earlier and earlier, so a lot of times juniors are now doing officials, you know, February, March of their oh, of yeah. their junior year. So things are the timeline's pushed up a little bit. But um, I would encourage, you know, visits and trying to make that a big piece of it if rowing at the next level is the goal. So scholarships. I want to know a little bit more about this world of scholarships because there's partials, there's book scholarships, there's full rides. Uh, how many? Like, I'm gonna start with Brian. I don't think UPenn has any. You got nothing. I got nothing. You got nothing for any no, of these no, kids. We, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, it's all. Uh, there's no athletic scholarships, so um, we can offer uh, support basically for yeah. admissions, and then um, any all the financial aid is, is um, based between the family and the school. Got it. But at, at the women's drawing, Division One, there are scholarships, there are opportunities. Uh, how many do you have access to? So the max for, for women's rowing in, uh, at Division One level is 20. That's, that's a fully funded. 20 fully funded 20 scholarships. Full, fully funded. And, and we as coaches can break those scholarships up however we choose. It can be, you know, half scholarships. Some people just do by, you know, dollar value. Uh, but, yeah, 20 is the max. And there's probably 30 programs in the country that have the full slate. Another 60 that have some, some form of that, uh, some fraction of that. Um, so there's a good amount of money to be tossed around. Actually, um, since 94, when, when women's rowing started to, to shift, Title IX came into place. Um, the opportunity for, for women to, to get some funding through athletic scholarships really, really increased. Uh, and, and so there's a lot out there. What does a full-ride scholarship athlete look like? What does the profile of, the, of, a, of a girl look like? I mean, it would depend on the program that you're looking let's at. Let's say I would something say, similar to you. Well, <laughs> I'm not using your name. Just, let's I, pretend. Again, I think it. I think it depends. Um, everything is kind of tiered, and to Eric's point, there's there's a school for everybody. But um, yeah, the the faster the Eric score, the better. You know, height is good, obviously. Um, taller is usually better, but not always. But mm -hmm. a lot of times, tied to that engine, and and the faster you go, the more opportunities you're going to give yourself. So. It's a well-rounded, like the personality plays into it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. not, it's never just, I think that's a, it's never just like your erg score equals. That's definitely a piece of it. And it's, it's with a sport where you're evaluating hundreds of student athletes every year, every recruiting cycle, you need to have something to be able to metric down and, and have something quantifiable. So for sure, mm -hmm. erg score and height and, and efficiency, all that stuff's going to come into play, but a coach's recommendations and um, leadership positions on the team and ex can you can you skull and sweep? Great. What's your experience like there? And and but yeah, above all, I think it's just the attitude and the effort that you're that you're willing to put in. It's also the, the the fact that we have to do our work and research because our financial commitment through athletic scholarship that's that's really a four year deal. Okay, so okay, yeah. so if they're a freshman coming in yep. and they're getting they're given a half scholarship, they get sure. it every year. Yes, there's only three, three ways that, that that money might go away. Is if they deem themselves academically ineligible, right? They, they fail out, they flunk out, they stink their first year. Uh, they quit the team or they break rules. And so uh, there's no athletic metric. Oh, this athlete's not as good as we thought they would be. We're going to pull that half scholarship. That, that's not a thing. And so it's, it's those three things that the athlete really has total autonomy over during their four years. And, and uh, we... We don't see it that often where, where scholarships taken away. There's going to be a lot of pressure, right, for kids to perform and, and all that. Mental health, has that been a big thing for you guys and supporting your athletes, Brian? Um, coming off a pandemic, trying to win, team culture, like 
I have seen a lot of kids break down. I, I, I've been through it myself through COVID. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, definitely there's been an increase. Um, and I've only been there for three years, but um, just coming out of the pandemic and just the need for people to talk to people about it, I think has really gone up. And so, uh, you know, obviously at, at, uh, at Penn, we have um, a ton of support in that sense. And they, there's multiple people they can, they can talk to if they need to. Um, you know, and I think like, we, as coaches, you, you have to do your best to sort of find them the people they need to mm. talk to. And I think you, uh, it is triage, like you were alluding to earlier. You're the first point of contact and probably someone they see most. And so I think as a coach, it's really important that you pay attention to their moods and pay attention to how they show up every day and you know, notice if there's differences there and make sure that you're, you're sort of asking questions and you know, checking in with them on a regular basis. Um, pretty much every day and just making sure that they're doing okay and you know I think if you're doing that and they feel like they have the support um, so far I've noticed it's uh, being on the team again and being together has been the biggest help and in just sort of getting them back to normalcy yeah I was just I was just I was thinking like as you were talking about the scholarships and all that it just seems like there could be a lot of pressure built up among these athletes um, at such an early stage there, there is. I think that we as coaches understand that that's, um, they're there to be student athletes uh, and not, not just to, to go out and, and kick butt for us on the river. Um, it's, it's important for us to uh, – we're not dangling that money in front of them saying, hey, you have to do this. That's just not uh, – that's not what we do. Uh, it, it's part of uh, our ability to support the family – of our athletes uh, and get them to a place where they can really excel academically and athletically. And so that's where that, that the driving force is there. Um, I'm, there's, a, there's, a, there's been a topic that I've been reading a lot about and it's like athlete suicides and it's happened fairly recently actually. And there was an article written about the pressures of trying to win and cope with winning and being an athlete and scholarship and all that. But, and luckily, I've, been, I've done this twice, and each and every time, it's been student-athlete. You guys, I've known you for a while. It's, you really do put that in first. It's not just about winning, right? Even though you won this weekend, you beat him. By the way, I <laughs> wanted to bring that and plug that one in there. I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found my entrance. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Have oh, you? 100%. And I think, I don't know a coach out there that wants that – athlete to just be an athlete. I think when, when everything else, it's, again, it goes back to finding the right fit for you because if everything's working academically and socially you feel good, athletically usually that's all, it's sort of that Venn diagram of everything yeah. goes, is, is working. And when one thing gets out of, um, out of alignment, it really kind of pulls on everything else. So I think just being that awareness factor of you know just watching everything and, and having people in your corner, support staff, direct assistant coaches, people that, teammates. I mean, I think that's a, that's a big thing too is relying on your leadership within the team to look out for each other. I think that's, um, yeah, it's, it's huge. Well, I feel comfortable sending my kids to you guys' schools. <laughs> She's uh, talking about the Venn diagram. No wonder why she beat, beat you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, figuring it out. Uh, before we go to q and I have one last question for each of you. Uh, favorite, pra- like, what's your favorite practice? Like, what do you What's your favorite workout for your kids on the erg and on the water? What, what, what would they expect at UMass, Eric? Um, six by 500, 90-second uh, rest. Uh, that's a classic. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's so that's on the erg. Full bore, no pace, yeah. Yeah, and then how about on the water? Like, what's a, what's a typical workout at UMass on the water? Um, 
Old Faithful's uh, Blackjack, 21 one-minute pieces. Uh, I like going to that every once in a while. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Brian? Jeez, I only do 18. <laughs> uh, I'd say 5 by 1500 on the Erg. Yeah, that's a classic. That's, that's, well, that's, like, that's the prep. That's Philly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's prep sweet. Philly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would yeah, love to know. What did, did, what did you do Tatey. for that? You got it from Tatey. Yeah. So Tatey, okay, I wonder where he got it from. I don't know. Probably he's from Philly, so he so they're all they're all yeah, that's all that's Philly, yeah. Philly workout. What did you pull for a five by fifteen hundred? Uh, the way we did it was the first one was at twenty two. Yeah, and then third one was twenty four. Well, the, the third one was open, and the oh. fifth one was open. Oh, that's weird. Um, we did um, rate open rate open rate. That's how we did it. Yeah. That's um, how we did it. Mike did it twenty two twenty four open twenty six open. Just tell me what did you do? How, yeah. Come on, I don't I don't remember. Come exactly. on, I mean the the opens were like close to two k pace. So one twenty eight. Yeah. Okay. By the way, tell everyone your best 2K because <laughs> it's not that good anymore. Uh, my, my best is 549. That's stupid fast. Yo, know, I heard gasps. By the way, that's ridiculous. It was on the old ergs, too. <laughs> actually, you know what? You know what? Before, actually, before, I want to know your workouts, Temple. Give, it, give me your, your best erg workout, your best water workout. Well, we just did 5 by 1500 the other day. That's a good one. I think physically, for sure, physiologically, but mentally what you get out of that mm -hmm. is really yeah. probably equally important. Um, on the water, you know, a lot of AT, you know, four by eight minute kind of R stuff. Remind them who's, how old your stroke seat is for your V8. Oh, my, <laughs> she's a freshman. And she came from here, right? She's she came local, from yeah, but she, um, she, yeah, from a recruiting standpoint, just, yeah, not, not a whole lot of high school experience, but just a natural, natural rhythm. She's. Figuring some things out. So, yeah, our stroke is a freshman too. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. Silly. By the way, yeah. give yourself some 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 hope there, Brian. Um, I tell them about how you had to submit your ERG scores back <laughs> in the in the nineties. Oh man, it was like a snail mail. No, tell, I, tell them. Yeah. Tell so uh, you know, you guys can probably see everything online, and and you get your updates uh, that way. Um, I used to have to. Um, write them down and mail them in, and then I we would get mailed back in a big man vanilla. I'm sorry, a Manila folder envelope, uh, just a printout of all the scores in the country, and it would be like stapled together and just pages of it. Um, so someone actually did that. Yeah, someone was sitting in an office <laughs> doing that, some licking stamps and uh, yeah. sending it to some bad apartment in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> you know, and you were 19, 20 years old. Yeah, and then made the national team. Yeah, that, that year, and then I love also uh, Crash Bees back when because I I wasn't there. My first Crash Bees was two thousand two. We weren't doing heats and finals, so you're doing heats and finals. Heats and finals, man. Oh yeah, like that's oh, insane. It. it was terrible. It <laughs> was terrible. And that was when you broke five forty nine, right? Or yep. You broke five fifty. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a great documentary called A Fine Balance, and I know some of you guys have seen it. You should watch it. It's about the story of the two thousand Olympic eight when he was in that boat. It's a really great documentary. It's on YouTube. Can't miss it. Um, but I'd like to give a round of applause for these guys. So thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Um, so now we're going to open up for Q&A. You're going to come over here to Julian with the microphone so we can hear you. Um, and we're wide open. You guys can ask us anything you want about recruiting, coaching, rowing, you name it. Does anybody have a question? Oh, we have a couple. Maybe you can just shout it. So you said all of them were walk-ons, but... Can walk-ons be successful? 
Oh, can they be successful? These days. Oh. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> totally. Well, so when you're looking for a walk-on, like, just strong, tall. Yeah, yeah. And if anybody's, anybody that's willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. If yeah. they're willing to work, they're, they're going to get pretty far. Um, and can a walk-on earn a scholarship opportunity with Division One women's rowing? Over time, they, um, when I was at GW, stroke seat, uh, former basketball player, had a scholarship to go to uh, uh, University of Hawaii. Uh, she rejected that to go to, to GW to be an engineer. I stroke my boat, open water, went at the A-10 championships. And, and I remember started, that year. Yeah. Was, uh, so it, there's absolutely opportunity for the walk-on uh, athlete to come and, and be a really good contributor. It is, more, it is a different environment. It's more challenging than it used to be because they don't have freshman rowing anymore, so yep. they don't compete against other novices. So they really have to find their way on a bigger team with fewer people in their situation, but the ones that it can be done, the ones that do it tend to be pretty determined. When did the freshmen, when did that change? What year did that change where they're not racing freshmen? For the men, it was 07. It's over, over 10 years. Yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been a while. I think yeah. it's a terrible thing, but yeah. that's my opinion. Another question? Brooks? Yeah, day in the life of a typical rower past the freshman transition period, you, you know, Rebecca mentioned 20 hours a week. I mean, when are those hours? How do you mix in, you know, the academic load with practices? How much on the water? How much in the weight room? Yeah, I think that's – I mean, it's a great question. Good question to ask because every program is going to be a little bit different, but I think probably at most programs at, at, at our level, you're looking at – I would say 12 practices a week, probably in the weight room two or three times, um, on the water at least six times, and then probably in the erg room. Um, maybe maybe on your own kind of prescribed workout that you have to turn in or maybe with a team and, and with a coach, depending on the time of year. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty intense, heavy load. Um, and then you're fitting in academics. Sometimes you have study halls that are required on top of that if you're a freshman. You're scaring sophomore. the audience. Well, first off, scary. they're it's not. We, we ease you into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, they don't have nine hours of straight class, right? They don't. They, no, I think that's that probably, we talk a lot, um, you know, of that transition is I think when you're in high school everything is so structured right you're in, in school from eight to three and then you're in practice from three to six and then you go home and do homework and you get up and do it again Monday through Friday and that's probably the biggest also that transition you could have a day in college where you have no class so how are you planning your week and, and getting ahead and um, a lot of times at places like ours you have priority scheduling so you can make a schedule that really fits around your rowing practice schedule as well and so you really set yourself up to be successful at that at that level. Brian, how about you? Like, what's a what's a day look like for your rower? Uh, not too far off. We have eight sessions a week that are sort of like at practice, kind of required. Um, and then, and two of those are weights um, in the weight room. And then uh, there's a one session they is required they do on their own. Um, and then there's an optional, another one on the erg, uh, or it can be cross training. Um, so basically, like we row in the mornings, and then typically there's a weight session on Monday, Wednesday in the afternoon. Um, followed by a shorter erg, and then um, the optional stuff they can do whenever they can fit it in with class. Next question.
tough question. Heck of a question. That's I'll let you start with that question. one. <laughs> I think I think uh, it's interesting. The, the three programs that are represented up here are, uh, are very different in our history. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Penn has, has a long, much longer, much more rich uh, history. Um, so for, for, for me and, and our culture, our, our goal is to make every day, when they roll in the boathouse, their best part of the day. Uh, for me, we want to create that in the space uh, at our boathouse each day. And, that, and that's, that's the beginning of creating the, the space for a great culture and a great experience. Um, and, and we kind of have to build it there and that's part of what I do that's my coaching philosophy is I want my athletes walking out saying that was the, that was the best damn part of my day and if, and if I if I do that then then, then I've done a really good job in, in setting them up setting them up for success uh, through their four-year journey so um, not every school is, is, is blessed with that that rich history tradition um, and I've been at schools that, that have had that and and others that have it and so it really does start with with the 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 atmosphere that we create as coaches so the athletes can come in come into our space and feel like they can excel and become the best versions of themselves and really find joy uh coming out of covid when everything was was so weird for everybody finding joy in this sport um and and i think that that space that we create is super important to, to start a really good culture how about you ryan um, yeah, so we have a very young team. I only have two seniors. Um, and so there is a disconnect between that sort of what the culture was before I got here and, and, and what I kind of want it to be. Um, I think joy and finding joy in that is, is something that we also do. But I, I, I think for us, it's, um, th- I really try to it's instill a sense that we're building this program together between me and the athletes because this is, I'm learning, I'm new as a coach, I'm learning the same way they're learning. Um, and it's sort of one, one brick at a time is what I tell them. This is, we're doing basic math every day and if they, like one plus one, and if they can show up every day and that be the best part of their day, same thing. And they, they really enjoy coming to the boathouse and they just get a little bit better every day and they come back and they can pick up from when they left off. Um, then I feel like I've, I've done, uh, my job and, and getting them to like the next step on where they want to take this program. But I really think that it's they are building this in their vision, and I think that I'm helping guide them through that. Um, and I want them to drive that. And, you know, I, they they definitely know my rules and my expectations of what they can and cannot do within that. Um, and those change depending at, as we grow; those also grow. Um, like, but like right now, our two we just picked our captains. We have two captains, and they are in the process of writing. Um, sort of the team values. And so we'll have that at some point in the spring, they'll have that done and that will come from them. Um, and that will be something that will get passed down. And so we are, we are in the process of um, basically writing it from scratch and, and trying to do it in a way that connects to what Penn's history used to be, which was a very competitive program and get it back to that. Um, but at the same time, understand that it is going to be different than it it was, and it's not going to be the same. And it's going to be um, sort of these. The, this group I have now. This is their mission: is to sort of build this. That's something into something that's going to be sustainable for the for the next generations. I wish I was back in college. Yeah. Isn't this so fun? This yeah. is why we all get along because we're all speaking the same language yeah. up here. So I think rowing nerds. Or yeah, go we ahead. Please keep talking it. about it. Um, I I love I like quotes like inspirational motivational quotes but I think there's that remember the Titans quote that says attitude reflects leadership 
And I think that that's a, that's a big piece of it. So I think as a, in my 10th year of, you know, I started as a head coach at Temple. It was my very first head coaching experience. And I've been there for 10 years. So the growth that I've experienced as a, as a leader and the lessons I've learned has, I think, played a big role in getting us to where we are now. And I think um, it's exactly what everyone's already saying. Like, once the athletes really own it, that's been a big lesson for me as a leader is kind of the more I can step back and, and empower them and provide the framework and the structure. But the more that we I can empower them to own their role. It's their team. I'm not yanking on an oar anymore. Sometimes I wish I were. Other times I'm really glad I'm not. <laughs> I think that I, I think that the more that we can just again show up every day and get a little bit better, a little bit better today, a little bit better today. We have our own internal metrics, and the funny thing is, the more you focus on that, actually, the better the results start becoming on the race course. And we've been seeing it happen and building a lot of belief that way. And so um, it's been. I'm really grateful for my whole evolution as a, as a coach, and I'm excited to see where we can keep going with it because I feel like we're just really starting to figure it out. Um, but, yeah, I think that's... Well, the three programs here, you haven't won at the highest level yet. Like, you're all still trying to get there, which is kind of cool, right? The woman that there was part of Washington that probably won, I don't know how many NCAA championships. So you're a little bit different, right? You're building your programs. That's cool. Another question? Oh, great question. Yes. Like we can provide um, admission support, but we w it's your grades still have to be at the standard. And so what we can do is offer a, a they offer likely letters basically is what the Ivy League does. Um, meaning that if you, they say, if you apply, you're likely to get in. And in general, those if you get that, then you, you, you tend to get in. And very rarely have I seen that go the other way. Um, but so it's, it's, more, it's more admission support. How about, how about coxswains? So forgive us for not bringing this up before, but um, coxswains, that's a, that's a big thing. What are you looking for in a coxswain, Eric? Like, what, what do you yeah, want? I, mean, I think that we all recruit one to two coxswains a year in general what we're looking to have, have a, have a pool of six to eight coxswains in, in, in every, any program. But that really is, is it's super important that we can connect. And, and, and we feel like we have an amazing relationship with that recruit and so um, with that coxswain. And so it starts in the recruiting process. So yes, we'll listen to audio of, of, of high schools, um, uh, hopefully not just screaming or throwing down swear words the whole time. <laughs> um, but yes, audio is important. But I think even more important is just uh, do some of my best coxswains I've worked with, um, instantly there was a connection and I felt like I want to work with this coxswain and this coxswain feels like they, they want to work in, in, in my program and, and they tended to be the best coxswains that I work with. And so getting out there, sending emails, same thing in the recruiting process, sending emails, getting to know coaches and, and finding the best fit. I know I said that word a lot, but it, it means a lot to us. I, this might sound funny. I think the next president we're going to have in like 20 years is a former coxswain. I really believe it. I think they're better coaches than they are the three of you here. Uh, the best coxswains I've ever had were just the, were better leaders than the coaches, if that makes sense. Like they controlled the environment. They weren't screaming, yelling, cursing, but they just knew how to lead their one team. Um, but I, so same thing for you, Brian. Are you looking for one or two coxswains a year? Uh, no. Um, because we have a limited number of, of admission spots that we can support. So um, my first year, we only had one experienced coxswain on my team. And then 
the rest were walk-on novices. Wow. So we hit pretty much everything on the river. Other boats, <laughs> call bridges, me next time. shores, call we hit me everything. Time. Trust me. I had to send a lot <laughs> of... Can fix it. <laughs> I'll take care of you, I believe. I had to send a lot of apology emails. Um, <laughs> but so the, that my next year, we recruited three. Wow. So I have... Th- but going forward, it's one. Um, and But what, what I've found is that a lot of coxswains get into Penn have gotten in on their own. So I have three coxswains on my team right now that got in on their own, and mm-hmm. they walk on. And so we encourage coxswains to do that if we can't support one. Um, but it depends on the year. So, you know, not this year, but potentially next year we would support one. It kind of depends on where we are with our team and our yeah. squad. Um, I, I would say in terms of coxswains, um, I think they're highly important. And I think to your point a little bit is that the best coxswains are almost the most forgettable coxswains because they operate at such a high level that you don't remember anything they say or do, but they do everything, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally, actually. It's like when I'm in a race, if I remember something a coxswain says, then that coxswain could have done a better job. I don't want to, if I, I need to hear it, it needs to come out of my head and never, never think about it again. If I'm thinking about something a coxswain has said during a race, then it's the wrong thing to say. Do you remember anything that Chip said in 2004? I don't remember one word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys got to watch that race. Another question? Yeah. Um, you, there's a lot of the conversation you've seen about culture. Um, one of the interesting things watching high school rowing here is so much of the objective seems to be recruitment um, that it almost seems like it, that's, the, that's the high point of a season. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think you re you you recruit them, and then when they commit, you re recruit them constantly. Um, and we do that. It's like you you once you once they're committed and they're a class and they they can communicate with each other. It's like you before they even get there, you're sort of trying to coach them on how to be ready and and what they need to do to improve their senior year. You want you want them to continue to improve. High, high school coaches, I've learned, use that tactic as a way to get more kids to row for them, right? So, hey, look at all the programs that our kids are going to. Um, yeah, look, I think the secret is, like, stop doing that because it's, it's – I don't think it actually works. I just don't think it does. That's my personal opinion. I've been doing this a while. Um, my wife and I were coaches together. We didn't use that as a tool to get other kids. Uh, we applauded them, and we made sure that they were um, recognized – but I understand what you're saying. It's a tool. The, high school teams are using that as a tool, but you guys don't, I don't know, you don't really care, right? No, I think it all comes back to the right athlete and, and making sure that they're in it for the right reasons. It becomes pretty obvious throughout the recruiting process if we're doing our due diligence, who's you know only in it for a scholarship or a roster spot versus who's really genuinely loves rowing and is a leader and just loves training and working hard and, and wants to be better and better and better. And those are the type of athletes that we're you know, all searching for. Another question? Yeah. 
uh, I, I've had some rowers take gap gap year. It's a little it's a little challenging just because of the, the timing of it, right? It, when when all their friends are are going through the process, and even now as I'm talking, you know, the senior class, the athletes that are seniors, that class is is done. We're talking to juniors now. Um, there's a lot of chatter amongst their peers, talking about you know what's happening, who, who are you talking to, what are you hearing, um, and and it's challenging to um, get out of that cycle and and take a moment. Kind of very Australian. A lot of Australians go take their their gap year, their walkabout. Um, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think the timeline is challenging uh, as far as um, getting into a, a university that's a good fit. That's the only thing that I would say. Yeah, I would say, um, oh, that's like way louder now. Did I do Sorry. Is that okay? You're fine. Um, I would say it's, um, for men's rowing, it's a bit different because our recruiting cycle is still, they, they basically get recruited as seniors still. So the timeline isn't as, as much of an issue on our end. I, we've encouraged it a few times with some of our recruits, and we've had mixed reviews. Some, it, it depends on the, on the kid. So, like, if they're, if they're mature enough and they have a plan and there's something that there's a sort of mission or a goal for them in that gap year, then I think it can be pretty productive. If, if they're just going to take a gap year and kind of, like, aimlessly do something on their own and try to get better and there's, there's no sort of guidance for them or something for them to do, um, then it gets – I think that's where it gets a little tricky. Um, so, it depends on, you know, how mature they are, like, what they're going to do for that year. Um, and if they have a plan for it, then it can, it can really work. I've seen it work a lot in men's rowing where um, there's a lot of good kids that are competing right now that, as on D1 teams that have taken gap years and been very successful. Um, the ones that do typically go someplace else and row for that year and, and, and work. There's a couple of programs in Jersey that actually has that. Um, it's like a fifth-year senior in high school. Yeah, uh, like the Blair, Hun, the Hun, Hun school, school can does do that. it. Kent School can do it. There's a lot of schools that will take a fifth year. Uh, Deerfield does it, I yeah, think. Like, yeah. there's a lot of schools that do that. Um, I mean, I think kids could go to um, Great Britain and row for a club there and, and, and find an internship or something to do. Or they could go to Australia. I think those things, I kind of wish I had done that. Like, I think I would have grown up a lot doing that and had a much better uh, college career academically. Like, I was a terrible college student, and it's, I don't think I was ready, right? So I think if, if that student is ready, is not ready, a gap year could be very productive. Um, Height-wise, is that, like, a major thing? Is it very important? And if someone is on the shorter spectrum, what can they do to earn or to be looked at a little bit more, and what do they need to focus on? So let me just say that one more time so that everybody uh, – is height a factor, right? Is if, if someone is not six foot five and whatever – 210 pounds, what can a shorter person, I mean, you're 5'8", you're the smallest person in the boat, right? <laughs> so maybe you start with that question. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like everything, like it's a, we're looking for a, it's a puzzle and you're looking at all of those pieces all together. So it's a piece of it, you know, obviously long levers is, you know, helpful, but if you have the longest levers and you don't know how to move it, then that's not also, that's not helpful either. So it's a factor, but I would say if you're, um, you know, if, if the ERG score is, is where it needs to be and the experience is where it needs to be, or you're a really talented bow seat, or maybe you can stroke really well, whatever it is, um, it is not the be all end all. And I, I think that, um, I think coaches that make it the be all end all, like 5'11 or nothing, I think you're missing out on some really talented athletes and leaders and teammates. So I feel sorry for people that do that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, I was like the second shortest guy in all my books. I was always like the yeah. littlest guy. And um, it, a video, I think, is one thing that can be helpful, right? If you, there's a lot of video of you rowing in a boat, then we can see how long you are when you row. Like you, some people are super tall and they row a super short stroke. So we want to evaluate, you know, the quality of your, of your rowing. And it doesn't really matter, you know, how tall you are. A lot of it is the geometry of your build that I look at. And so, um, you know, you, that, that comes across in, the, in video when you see them row. I think that video can also be um, just on the erg. You know, we do yeah. a lot of just yeah. video of uh, one-minute video from the side on the erg rather than kind of the emotional parent screaming video, cowbells ringing. Yeah. Uh, we like the erg <laughs> video a little bit. You've all seen it. Um, the, they the, all have done it, by the way. They've done it. Right? <laughs> the... the the erg video is, is awesome yeah. to see. You can re we can really see how they move. In just one minute, you know, we're doing a little bit of easy pressure, a little bit of hard pressure. That, that has huge value, and, and, and especially we like to say vertically challenged and not short. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Conversations with your coach will come into play too. Yes. Like, you know, if you're a super competitive person and you're aggressive and you race hard and you have that work ethic, then height matters a little bit less. Another question? Anybody? So what are we looking for academically in a rower? Oh, so that's like SAT scores and all this other stuff. I'm like, I, I, SAT scores for me was 1,600, right? Now it's like 2,400. I think we're back to 1,600. We're back to 1,600. <laughs> so what are you looking for in an academic athlete? I think you can get very, obviously every school is different. What, what Brian's dealing with at Penn is different than, than what Rebecca and I are dealing with at, at Temple and UMass. And so... Um, in general, I would say that uh, many of the rowing programs in, in, in the United States, um, they're really good students. Um, you know, the, the, the requirements that we have, it's very spe specific to the university. Coming out of COVID, a lot of schools are test optional right now. I know we still are test, test optional, and I think SAT. What does that mean? That means that um, you just test apply without your test scores. You apply without your <laughs> oh test scores. Unless they're really good. And then if they're really good, click the box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's access to testing coming up. I hope they all heard that. Was, uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, test optional. And, I, and it, might, it might go away completely. There's a good yeah. chance that yeah. we're hearing it might go away completely. Whoa. So and I didn't really answer your question. I'm sorry. I wasn't very specific. But it's just very, very specific to the school that you're looking at. And that, the coach at that school can, can give you a really good sense of the range. Um, it's usually a bit of a sliding scale. You know, if you're really good academically in the classroom, a lot of time you can get away with a little bit lower of a test score. You know, I think a lot of schools are looking for, you know, uh, workers, not testers. You know, athletes that are going in day in and day out doing a really good job in the, in the classroom instead of just, you know, goofing off and, and kicking butt on, on the SAT Saturday. I'm not speaking for Brian here, but... Most rowers are great academically. I mean, let's be frank. Like, you all are very motivated individuals doing a sport that's very challenging. You work hard naturally. I can't imagine that you're not great at school. How I mean, did you know I wasn't good at school? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anybody else? Another question? I'll, I think I'll just say, I think that's where you should um, definitely talk to the coach. And, and they can give you direct feedback about where you would stand academically. It, I mean, it's a range. Oh, well, the, the lady back here in the pink top, you go ahead and stand up. Can you talk a little bit about competition um, for a student in the boat versus like in the team and how 
So competition for the seat. So um, I guess seat racing and building your building your eight or your four or whatever. Who wants it? Who wants it? <laughs> Rebecca? <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I think on most program, I mean, at the collegiate level, again, there's, there's a jump and, and, um, every school is going to have a little bit of a different approach to it, but I would encourage, I think the the transition pieces every day, just showing up and working hard. I mean, by the time it comes time to make lineups for any of us up here, we have a whole lot of data points and information and it, and the picture starts to become more and more clear as you go through the season and as you go from year to year to year. So, um, if you, are hoping that it's all going to ride on one seat race. You're wrong. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of training and and um, and information that we're getting, and it's never just one 2K or one seat race or one selection piece. Um, so, what's your distance for a uh, um, seat race? How do you how do you do a seat racing? race for for Temple? It depends on on what we're trying to do, to be honest with you, and whether we're going to do it in eights and fours. Eights, obviously, the margins are a lot tighter, so we'll probably do longer pieces. Um, if we're doing it in fours, maybe 1250s um, enough to get us some valuable information. Um, but to be really honest with you, we've kind of trended away from that a little bit. I think just looking at just really big picture, how do you, I mean, all year long we're, we're moving people around and I would say that probably goes the same for everybody, just moving people around, who rows well with who, what pairs well yeah, with together. Yeah, boat chemistry, we talked who about can, that a couple weeks ago. Who can stroke? I mean, there, there are seats yeah. that not everybody can fill and, and I think that that's, um, there's some really valuable skills. So if you are, again, on the, on a, the you know, not as tall side, but you've got some of those really valuable skill sets, then make that, make that known through the recruiting process, it's video-wise. But um, it's a really big, it's a holistic, and I think that's the beauty that when we have a whole, we have a whole year. I mean, it's a year-round sport. A lot of times in high school, you only have a freshman year, or our spring season, excuse me. So you're, maybe you're playing multiple sports and you, and you don't even do the erg season and you show up in March and racing starts in a couple weeks. And the only way we have to figure out who's moving boats is seat racing. But I think in college, we have a lot more time to develop athletes and a lot more time to understand what we're working with technically and ability-wise and speed-wise. So it's, it's definitely a really long process. Did you want to say something, Brian? Yeah, I, mean, I would say it's, um, I, yeah, I agree. It, it's, we've moved away from seat racing, like direct switching. Um, I, it, cause it, cause because that becomes the thing that everyone focuses on, that one result. When I really think, like the two things we, I, we message to our team all the time is that consistency compounds. So the more consistent you are over the entire season, the better chance you have of making that top boat. And then... You know, there's going to be ups and downs throughout. You're going to have good days and bad days. So it's like there's no gloating and there's no pouting. And you're, you just got to manage those ups and downs. I'm going to steal that. I like that. Me too. That's a really good one. <laughs> so we talk about, you know, you, know, you hear this question, like, when am I going to get my chance? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and once you hear that question, you, you know that they're missing the process that we're going through to figure out um, who's going to move boats for us at the championships. Because every day is your chance to get in a boat. And whatever pair, whatever four you're in, whatever eight you're in, if you're doing gladiator races or whatever, you make that boat go. That's your chance. And that's how we're kind of moving towards in the selection. That's good for them now. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. even when they're on the programs now. Um, I would also say if, if being in a different boat is going to change how you show up every day, that's mm. not mm-hmm. that's not going to help us get better as a team. Like if all the, oh, now I'm going to work hard because I got my shot at the V8 or now I'm in there and I'm really going to show them what I got. That, that's not, that's not going to be enough. Well, you, you should be the same oars woman oars man as you are in any boat no matter no matter what the piece i make switches all the time i make switches in steady state i do switches over three mile pieces that must drive the kids crazy 500 meter pieces i just switch people all the time (laughs) 
And uh, in the fall, we rode mixed lineups almost the entire yeah. time, and everything Same. is side by side. Yep. Um, and so, and I think that keeps them on their toes, and I think they like it. They, they want to be competitive, and they want to race, and they want to push, push each other. And it's like, um, you know, a lot of kids thrive in that. And then, you know, you got to throttle back sometimes. But um, you kind of have to read, read the room a little bit, see the whites of their eyes and how tired they are. <laughs> <laughs> There's another question up here. Uh, you uh, talked about earn time for recruits, but what's the progression of the typical college grower? How much faster are you after three or four years? That's a good question. Can take I'll start with that I think I think the freshman year there there tends to be a big jump right they get into a lot of the athletes come in and they're they're not training as much or, or as intentional as they as they um, they weren't as training training as intentional in high school as they are now so there's that big freshman kind of uh, bump that they get that first year I think a lot of time we also see then a, a sophomore slump a little bit mm -hmm. like oh man I got to do this again you know, back at it same cycle 156 day cycle and then it tends to progress from there. Um, but it is a little bit diminishing. There's these explosive gains early, and then and then it gets more incremental as they move their way through their four years. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah, I'd agree. But that's just for the ERG score anyway. I mean, everyone knows you for the men's side. You break six thirty, and then it's a quick jump to six twenty, and then it's really hard to get faster over that longer period of time. And I mean, personally, I remember being sub six thirty uh, in high school, six twenty eight, and then getting to 612 by the end of my senior year. That's not that I – mean, it's four years to not get that much faster. You found a way to slide that into this, this I conversation. Did. <laughs> That's pretty I had to. You see me? Uh, uh, 608's my best, yeah, though. I will say that. <laughs> not as good as this guy over here, though. That was my best. I never went any better than that. 549? Yeah. Eight years later, it was 550. Insane. But it's incredibly fast. Anyway. Well, I was just going to say for a, for a parent or a high school coach who's supporting an athlete making that transition, that is – I would think that's the biggest thing is that freshman year is, is huge and it's so exciting and people are celebrating you and you're new and look at all these great improvements and it's really fun. And then that sophomore year, you're working just as hard or harder and you're not seeing as much massive improvement. And so there's sometimes this, what am I doing this all for? That sort of um, questioning things. And I think if you're supporting, that's very natural. It's a really normal part and we see it all the time. And so, you know, trying to get ahead of it and have conversations with sophomores even before they get to that point is a piece of it um, as a coaching staff. But I think as someone who's supporting them from afar, you're going to be the one getting the phone call when they're upset that they're not um, necessarily having the same progression they were freshman year and just helping to explain that, that that's just a normal part of the process. You just have to keep keep showing up and keep finding joy and keep making progress and it'll usually work out. We have one more question and we'll, we'll end with this one. Go ahead. It's an important question, I would say, because yeah. at the end of the day, no one's graduating with a degree in rowing. <laughs> Even us, yeah. we didn't. Yeah. So I, I think it, it should be a huge, I mean, rowing is going to be a massive part wherever you go. I mean, you're doing it because you love it. It should be a huge part of your growth and your experience and, um, you know, people that are going to be in your life forever. And I think it's a massive piece of the education that you get at college. But 
at the end of the day, you're graduating with a degree and you gotta make sure that you're ready to go. So I think part of, I think you can, you can't always do it all. And so I think that's where finding the right fit in the process and being really upfront and, and asking for what are, what are some of those um, supports when those moments arrive. Are there majors that I definitely can't do? You know it going in. A lot of times, depending on the school and the, and the support, there are workarounds to some of those things. And I think part of it is going in, being really open and clear communication-wise. There are ways, if this is your end goal, like occupation-wise, um, you know, where I see myself going, there are probably 12 different ways to get there, you know, and there's not always, like, I think sometimes people come in fixed mindset and, and college has changed, the majors that are out there are different and there's a lot of ways to get from point A to point B and it's not always a straight line. And so I think just being really open to other options and, and communicating with your coaches along the way is really a big piece of it. Brian, you wanna? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think. Um, there's always workarounds, and I think I think all coaches understand within their own school there's going to be um, certain majors that have conflicts that come up at certain times in their in that four year career, um, and then they just expect it and they work around it, and uh, you know you, you you just know that you're going to have some class conflicts. There's going to be you know job interviews are going to have to go to at some point, and that's just that's just part of it. Well. Listen, thank you for coming here. DC National, thank you. Uh, Julian, thank you for hosting this, guys. And a uh, round of applause for the panel here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, we have just Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Pinson. Thank you for being here.